This is all very exciting. This is a, this is a very refreshing and, and new look to see all of you packed t- together. I'm sure you don't mind losing that shoulder space, right? You're doing okay so far, and it's going to be uh, enjoyable to have uh, the, the, the room go all the way back and looking forward to it. It's been fascinating watching the process of how it all happens. And um, I mean, you guys tend to, to maybe come on Sunday and then you wait and then you come again and, you, and something has changed. But we see all the layers upon layers of what happens in a project like this. You know, even in terms of the flooring, what has to go down and, and then down and then on top of that. And, and to, take, to, to, to take care of everything to, to the degree where we're ready to knock the wall down. And um, just the, the process that goes into that is, is quite striking. But it's interesting at the same time to look at all and, and to realize that you know, the goal is to make it functional, the goal is to make it beautiful, and yet uh, it's, it's all going to burn. I mean, ultimately, ultimately this church building, sorry Bob, that's the reality. <laughs> ultimately this church building will not last, right? And it's a good thing to keep in mind because if, if, if this is what we're living for and looking for and working towards, then ultimately what we have lived for and worked towards is, is going to burn. But then there is lasting construction, okay? There is everlasting construction. Um, there is construction that will endure. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of you children know the, the story of the three little pigs, right? Kids, let me see your hands. You know the three little pigs? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So there was, uh, there were, there were these three little pigs, right, who were getting chased by a wolf. Um, and they, they escaped, and then they, they go and they, they, build, um, they build houses. Each of them built their own house, and the wolf then goes one by one to the houses, and he says, little pigs, little pigs, let me in. And what do they say? Right. Okay? So they're wise, and they don't let the door open for the wolf to come in and devour them. And yet he says, well, fine then. I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And he succeeds in blowing down the houses of the first two little pigs. And they run squealing up into the distance. And they try and get to their their other little pigs' houses to be safe from the wolf. And the first two houses get knocked down because they were built with construction that is not going to last. And then they get to the third house, and that was a well-built house. The house endured the wolf's huffing and puffing, and it would not fall, and the, and the pigs were safe. And so in, in, in a similar way, um, we can build stuff that's going to that's gonna last. We can build stuff that's not going to last. And I want to challenge us, and I want to encourage us, and I want to focus us all this morning on, on, on the thought of building what will last, okay? Church construction that lasts forever. Open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We want to be not like the first two little pigs. We want to be like the third little pig who built a well built house. As you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's pray. Father, we come to you humbly, thinking of even what we sang in the song, The Firm Foundation, and how the first verse went through the foundation of what has been laid out for us in, in your word, and how we have everything we need there. We have clarity of instruction that requires us to to consider and to uh, conform our thoughts and our minds and our actions and our hearts to. Um, So I'm grateful for that. I ask that you would use this time now to, to change us, to mold us into the image of your Son, to give us hearts and minds and lives that reflect a right understanding of who we are before you of who you are and all your magnificence. Give me grace to be able to communicate well, clearly, 
And Lord, that as a church family, we'd be able to encourage one another going forward in these things that the process of learning and growing uh, from this text and, and others would not, would not cease when we leave, but would just continue in the midst of our conversations and our, our talk with one another as friends and family. Please, Lord, accomplish this in your strength and in the power of your spirit, not by anything I'm doing. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, and here we're going to find that uh, Paul informs us of four components of eternal church construction, okay? Let's read those verses, starting in verse 10. It says, according to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire." And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, what we have to understand first off is that um, Paul is, is speaking metaphorically throughout this passage. Okay. In, in, this, in this first component of eternal church construction where he's talking of the foundation that is laid, he's speaking metaphorically. Paul didn't actually lay a slab, right? There's not a, there's not a piece of, of concrete that Paul is pointing at and saying, see that foundation I laid? That's, that's awesome right there. Um, the construction that's being discussed through this passage is, is representative of words and deeds, typically far removed, generally far removed from swinging a hammer and hidden nails. Um, and the church that he's referring to is not, is not a, a physical building in this sense, but is an entity comprised of, local, comprised of the local expression of the redeemed people of God. All right, so this is all, this is all metaphorical that, that Paul's talking about here. But as he talks of a foundation, as this first component of eternal church construction, as he talks of laying a foundation, in this metaphor, Paul describes himself as, as a master builder. He speaks of the grace of God giving him the opportunity to be a master builder, and he's speaking of his, his apostleship there. He's speaking of the charge that God gave him and the warning and the, uh, the forewarning of what was all to come in Paul's service, but he's, he, he's speaking of the, the fact that God gave him the charge to go and to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. And as a wise master builder, he, 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 as a master builder, he was responsible for getting the entire project, this, this construction project, off to a good start. Okay, he's laying the foundation, right? And if you lay a foundation and there's cracks in the foundation, your building's going to suffer. If you lay a foundation that has shoddy materials in it, your building is going to suffer. If you lay a foundation that has a, you know, a serious incline to it, you're going to end up with the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Pizza, pizza, okay? The final project is at risk of damage and destruction, depending on how this foundation goes down. But Paul is not just a master builder. He refers to himself as a wise master builder, uh, the, an architect. And if you notice, his, his rationale for why he says, I'm a wise master builder, is because he laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it because no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. His choice of foundation is what has made him, according to the grace of God, a wise master builder. So in this, in this scheme of eternal church construction, the foundation is foundational. It's paramount. If you have a bad foundation, you have bad construction. You're going to have a bad result. 
And so Paul's wisdom is evidence in the, in, the, in the foundation that he chooses to lay for the Corinthians and their church there. And the foundation that he has laid is Jesus Christ. He's wise because he laid Christ as the foundation. Had he laid a foundation of Christ and, or Christ but, or instead of Christ, then he would not be wise. That would have been a foundation full of sand. But instead, he laid the foundation of Christ, a cornerstone that won't be shaken. And this makes sense from where he's been coming from in the first couple of chapters because as, as Pastor Rick preached not that long ago, he, he speaks of the, of the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men and the foolishness of God and the foolishness of men and how the foolishness of God that is bound up in Christ is so much even wiser than the, wise, the, the, the wisdom of men. You remember that? And, the, and that's, why the, um, that's why the gospel doesn't make sense to people whose eyes haven't been opened. So Paul's wisdom here is grounded in his attachment to Christ and his laying of Christ in that foundation. It, it defies human wisdom, and yet it qualifies Paul as a wise master builder. Now, we, Mission Road is, is blessed to have a track record of, of over 50 years of staying true to that foundation, of preaching Christ and Him crucified and resurrected and living again, staying true to the foundation of Jesus Christ, his character and his work as revealed in the Bible. It's been laid. It is a solid foundation. In Ephesians 2, Christ Jesus is referred to as being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. It is a firm foundation, and it's its firmness as a foundation is a direct reflection of the firmness and constancy and strength of the character of Christ. If there are holes or pockmarks or, or weaknesses in the person of Christ, then there are weaknesses in the foundation that the church is built upon. And yet there are no weaknesses in Christ. And so as long as our foundation is upon Christ, then there are no weaknesses for our church. And there are no weaknesses for the Corinthian church because it reflects the steady consistency and the strength of the Son of God Himself. So that's, that's, that's the first part of the construction here is the, is the foundation. But the foundation having been laid by, by the architect, by the master builder, now the crew comes in to work on the construction of the building itself. And so we encounter the workers. Look at what we read where he says in verse 10, like a wise master builder, I laid, I laid a foundation... And then another is building on it. And it says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. And then he talks about, for no man, you can't lay another foundation. And then verse 12, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and 13, then each man's work will become evident. Verse 14, if any man's work remains, he will receive a reward. 15, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So there are workers besides Paul who are working on this building. Yeah, there are men coming after Paul who are adding a hand to the construction. And we see that it's a, it's a fairly broad understanding. Any man, any person, anyone who builds is a worker. I think he's specifically focused on targeting teachers and their roles in building upon the church because if you look back, then he's talking about how... Um, the, he's talking about the, 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 the teachers who have come and how the, the Corinthians have made the mistake of kind of aligning themselves as teachers, and he's talking about the, the wisdom of God in, in communicating the gospel and the ability to discern what is spiritual and what is not and how all that comes down to then a, um, an accountability of the one who is teaching as a focus. And he's admonishing both the teachers and the people about the necessary caution in terms of allowing what is done from a teaching standpoint. And yet, every one of us is also a worker. Every man who builds, each person who builds is a worker and will have their work assessed. 
If you look over in 1 Thessalonians 5, let's, let's look at a couple passages, okay, to, um, to help us grasp that. 1 Thessalonians 5. Starting in verse 9, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. There's there's that idea of construction work, church construction work, and and the the concern is that there's been a... um, a misunderstanding of a theological truth. And so Paul is saying, build each other up in truth as workers upon this building that is the church. Edify one another with the truth and, and the focus there being on one another. If you look over in, uh, in Jude, Jude chapter 1. There you go. Uh, Jude verse 17 He says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So again, the emphasis there on the fact that there's an accountability for the teachers as builders, but there's an accountability for each one of us, body members, as builders to build one another up in this construction project that we're all in. And I'm not talking about this construction project. I'm talking about this construction project. We see that as the purpose for spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14. The, the point of having gifts is to use those gifts to build one another up. We see the, the, the hand-in-hand nature of how um, a, a pastor and a teacher is supposed to work with the congregation for the sake of building up the body. The, 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 the pastor-teacher equips the saints for the work of ministry to the building up of one another. And so... There's a, there's a, a tandem effort as workers in this project that we have to understand. Ultimately, Jesus Christ claims ownership of the building and ownership of the process of building. He says, I will build my church and the gates of, of hell will not prevail against it. And that's a big comfort. And yet he chooses to utilize men and women of the faith as significant means for carrying out the work. And this admonition here is for me. And it's for Pastor Rick, and it is for each one of you to be careful how you build upon the foundation. We're all workers in the midst of this construction, this, this construction project. We're all workers, and, and yet uh, the reality is that we're often at, di- at different phases in the project. Um, we range from those who haven't put on the hard hat yet to those who are sweating profusely in the labor. We range from those whose, uh, whose hands are soft like a pianist's hands to, to those who have, have, have calluses, thick calluses from hours and hours and years and years of swinging a hammer and, hammer and pulling a saw. So where are you as a worker? Are you, are you, are you sipping coffee by the water cooler? Or are you in the process and are you building are you actually doing what the boss has brought you onto the crew for? If you're in the mix and you're seeking to do the work, then the question becomes, what kind of construction work are you doing? Okay, the foundation has been laid, and we see the workers in the process, and now we come to the construction itself. Go back, if you're still over in Jude, go back to 1 Corinthians, please. So the construction itself, then, Paul speaks of it this way. He's given the admonition that each man must be careful how he builds 
on that foundation. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So first off, we're talking about construction that's done within the parameters of a, of a, <clears throat> of a right soteriology. We're talking about construction that's done within the parameters of a, of a solid foundation, all right? But then he says, if any man builds on the foundation, in verse 12, now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, Precious stones, wood, hay, straw, and he goes on to talk about how it will become evident what kind of work he's done. So what, what is this gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw? Uh, we have to keep in mind that Paul's speaking metaphorically, okay? He's not, he's not talking the, the actual process of building a house that you would live in. He's talking gradations of value in construction, and Specifically, the value is going to be determined by the following verses in terms of the value being determined by its ability to withstand fire, okay? So, like, for example, if we, if we think too literally about this, we could look at it and say, well, gold, gold is, is very valuable. That's great. You know, silver is valuable. Precious stones, okay. Uh, but, hey, wood is good for building a house, right? So let's go ahead and build a house out of wood. I mean, I might even be able to stick some hay into the bricks and, you know, we could use hay in building a house um, or straw. But, but his point is not in what is actually, like, what could you actually physically build a house out of? His point is, as you build, what will withstand the fire to come? His point in delineating those, those two groups of materials, the gold, the silver, and the precious stones, and the wood, hay, and the straw, his point in delineating those two groups is accurately understood in relation to the fire that's to come in the next verse. In verse 13, where it says, each war man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. So Paul draws an image here for the Corinthians of a building being built upon a solid and unshakable foundation. And then he says, you guys, as you work, as you build on this construction project, are you building with something that is going to withstand the fire that's going to come, the clarifying fire that will come? Um, and so then we see not what's, what's necessarily viable f actual physical construction projects because you never see a house that's fully gold. But the intimation here is that a house that is fully gold in this concept is, is a good thing, right? But it's all because it will withstand the fire. And the gold, the silver, and the precious stones will withstand the fire, the testing fire that will come. So what, what are these deeds? A deed that could be gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or stubble or straw. Um, what are the materials, the construction materials that Paul's looking at? And it's words and deeds, okay? It is every word and every deed that you and I speak and that you and I do or perform is going to be assessed. And it's going to either be assessed as something like gold or silver or precious stones, or it's going to be assessed as wood or hay or straw, and it's going to be assessed by whether it gets burned up or whether it lasts in the fire of judgment. Words. As I said before, primarily doctrine in the sense of the truth of who Christ is and what he's done and then what he communicates to us and what he would have for us, especially regarding teachers and others in authority. And that's why James admonishes people, not, don't, don't let a lot of you become teachers because as such, you'll incur a stricter judgment. Hey, there's something very serious about being a teacher because, um, because of the, 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 the primary effect that it has of building up the church as a whole body. And if you get that wrong, then there's a stricter judgment for that. But beyond that, there's speech to one another within the body, right? There's words amongst you. There's words amongst us. On a Sunday morning in a Sunday school class, 
over lunch or over coffee, at care groups, on a phone call, over the texts, whatever it is. There are words between us, and there are parameters for those words that we give to one another for, for whether they are going to build up the church in a way that is going to withstand that judgment or whether they're going to build up the church in a way that's going to get burned up. Uh, we're commanded to have edifying speech as believers, which is speech that builds up. Uh, if you think of what Paul writes to the Romans, he, he, he's firmly convinced that the church at Rome was full of knowledge and able to admonish, able to deal in speech with each other's minds and hearts and lives according to the truth of God. And so there's a primary understanding here that the words that we speak and, and the contents of those words will be assessed at some point. Because God will bring a fire that will process the building, the church as a whole, and we'll see whether it's been built up in a way that lasts or not. There's words and then there's deeds, okay, the, the things that we do. Um, everything from do you use your spiritual gift or not, um, deeds like giving, deeds like hospitality, deeds like meeting needs, deeds like uh, just practical service. Um, all those things designed to build up the church will either the last or they'll be burned up. Uh, let's look at an example in, in 1 Corinthians 8. Um, an example of something that is done that, that will not last. And verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7, however, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We're neither the worse if we do eat, nor the better if we, uh, if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple... Will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. And so, we can do things in, in the way of, of even, even in, the, in the understanding of trying to build someone up um, in this sense of, of liberties. Um, you can build someone up in that way, in such a way as to then defile their conscience and lead them into sin and thus dishonor Christ. So everything that we do is going to be assessed in terms of an understanding that we build up the church by our words and our deeds, and in building up the church, what will it come out as? What will our contribution to this church building look like at the end? Will it survive or will it not? We've seen a master builder lay a foundation, which is Jesus Christ himself, and upon, each, upon this foundation, each one of us is engaged to one degree or another in building up this construction project, okay, of the church here. And we understand that the way we build is either valuable or worthless. It's either up to code or it's out of code, all right? So how do we discover that? How do we assess that? And when will that be known? And that'll be known when quality control comes upon the scene. Okay, look in verse 13. It says that each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. So what, what is Paul talking about? He's saying each man's work will become evident. Each man's work will, will become clear because there is a day, a day of judgment that is coming. And the day of judgment involves 
God's assessment of our lives, of what we've done, of what we've said, of, of how we've conducted ourselves in this life, and, and specifically in this context regarding how we've conducted ourselves towards the church. And when God comes with His fire of, of clarifying judgment of that was valuable or that was worthless, then we'll understand what our lives have been invested in. This, this day, this day of judgment is often found in the Old Testament in response to disobedience to God's will. You know, there, there's an immediate day of judgment upon, upon diso, disregarding God's instructions and, and the prophets specifically. But then ultimately, there's, an, there's, a, there's a final day of judgment that will come. And there, there, is a, there is a final day of judgment for believers as well, not in a salvific sense of, am I saved or am I unsaved, but in, a, in an assessment sense, in a quality control sense of, okay, I saved you, I redeemed you, and I gave you a task and a purpose and a, and a building to work on, so how'd you do? Let's run it through the fire and see. And it's attached to God's return and His ultimate reign. We see Paul reference this in chapter 4, verse 5. He says, don't go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So when he returns, he brings judgment, the sifting of people's works into good and bad, the lasting and the temporary, the approved and the unapproved. And in order to do this, he utilizes a refining fire. And that's there in verse 13. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So a commentator whose name is Lenski, and he says this, in fire is figurative for in judgment. Namely, the absolutely righteous judgment of God. The point of comparison in fire is not its light, but its consuming power. The materials mentioned prepare for this figure, for three are incombustible and three are combustible. And this can be clearly seen in this context, okay? Fire is not an issue of light or darkness here. Fire is an issue of burning, of enduring the fire or being consumed by the fire. It's not, a, it's not the, the, the image of a cute little fire in the fireplace casting light into the dark little shadows of, of the corner of a room and revealing what is hidden in that way. It reveals what is done by consuming what is worthless and, and, and demonstrating, revealing what is valuable because it endures. Think of it, think of it as a house on a conveyor belt, okay? The church, the church is, is a house, and you've got the foundation that's Christ, and we're all working on this house, and it's moving along a conveyor belt, okay? And we're, we're all lined up along this conveyor belt, and we're working on the house, okay? We're building on it as, it as it moves along the belt, and at the end of the belt is a massive furnace, big enough for a house, okay? So we're, we're sawing, we're drilling, we're building, we're, we're, we're uh, using construction adhesive, and I mean, we're roofing, we're, we're doing everything on this house, and at the end of, the, at the, end of the, the conveyor belt is a furnace large enough to pass the house through. When the house reaches the end of the belt, then each worker clambers inside the, the portion of the construction that they've done. They climb inside the house, and they stand in the midst of the work they've been responsible for doing. And the house then moves into the furnace. Again, the furnace being big enough to fit a house through which means you got some seriously blazing, hot, leaping flames that are going to test the quality of what the workers along the belt were doing. So the house moved along the conveyor belt and was built up, built up, built up, built up. It goes through into the fire with all the workers inside as well, and then it comes out on the other side of the fire. And there are, there are potentially portions of the house that have lasted, and the workers inside saying, it endured. And then there are potentially portions of the house that are no longer there. And instead, there's, there's, there's soot and ashes around the worker. And he's looking at the soot and ashes going, 
It's gone. It's gone. Everything, everything that I did to this house is gone. Or maybe there's, you know, uh, a gold two-by-four here and then a pile of ashes here, and maybe there's, you know, a few precious stones scattered in the midst of the ashes. But as it goes through the furnace, it is assessed by God's judgment of how we built a, upon the church. There could be a lot left. There could be a little left. There could be nothing left. Because the results are contingent. And we see that in verse 14. It says, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So you'll notice that in that, in that illustration, I had the workers climb into the house, right, and go through the fire themselves. Because it's not the house itself in this regard that feels the loss or gains the reward. It's the worker that feels the loss and gains the reward. It is me, and it's you, who in the midst of doing what you're doing with regards to life and the church and how God has brought the two of you and, and, and me involved as well, how God has brought us all together, it's you and I who are going to feel and experience the reward or the loss. We'll feel the sins of loss as our worthless works are burned up, and we will feel the great thrill of joy and pleasure that comes when we see the works we've done survive and bring the approval of God and the reward that accompanies it. Again, Lenski is helpful. He says, many great works shall thus go down in ashes in the judgment and be absolutely disowned by the Lord. Many proud builders who were acclaimed by men while they lived and were honored with great tributes when they were buried shall hang their heads when all their work becomes nothing in the fire test. But many a humble preacher of whom nobody made much in life, uh, and I would add to that many a humble servant, many a humble Sunday school teacher, many a humble disciple maker, many a humble you name it, of whom nobody made much in life shall shine at that day because he worked in gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, this is not a, a salvific issue. This is not a soteriological thing. You know, the end of verse 14 makes, uh, 15 makes it clear. There's reward and there's loss, but even the one who lost will be saved, and yet it's as through fire. You know, you're, maybe you've got some, some soot smeared across your forehead, and you're, you're feeling a little warm, and yet you're saved. So this is not, this is not an issue of whether you're saved or unsaved. Yeah, it's an issue of the difference of reception into eternity based upon the way in which one does construction on the church, based upon the way in which you live your life now when you go into eternity and have God's judgment come upon your life, you will feel and sense and experience either reward or loss. I will, this, this is not, this life is not just for, for this life's sake. You know, us coming to church on Sunday is not just to come to church on Sunday. Us being a part of a church body is not just to be a part of a church body, but it is to, to build upon the church in such a way that what we do will last and we can experience the joy of, 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 of the reward of God. And on the flip side of that, if we're not cognizant of that and purposeful about that, then we'll experience the loss of having everything get burned up and, and be deemed worthless and useless. And that's how, we'll, that's, how, that's how we'll enter into eternity. I mean, the believer will enter into eternity with, with Christ regardless. But on the one hand, good construction results in reward. On the other hand, bad construction results in loss. And so there's something beyond the fact of salvation that is at risk. None of this earns salvation. None of this, none of this uh, defies salvation or takes away salvation. That's not his point at all. 
He's saying beyond salvation, there is an accountability and an assessment and ultimately either a reward or a loss. And I, I, don't, I, don't, want, I don't want to live life without knowing that. And I don't want you to, to live your life without knowing that. Because ultimately, we will know that. And we'll know it when God runs everything we've done through the fire and we get to actually see um, when we're judged for our words and our deeds, there will either be a reward or a loss that is beyond salvation itself. What is that reward? Um, like I read earlier in, in chapter 4, you know, it would seem to have something to do with the praise of God, where it says uh, God will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. In Matthew 25, Jesus uh, gives us a parable of, of understanding how the servant served the master and the servant who was faithful and did as the master said, then hears from the master, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the master. And so from God himself, okay, and to really appreciate this, we always have to keep in mind who we are. From God Himself, the Almighty, the absolutely holy, the most gracious, the most merciful, the most mighty, from Him comes praise and joy to us, to wretched enemies saved by grace and given the chance to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of his family, and to be a part of his work upon this earth. I mean, if you, if you close that gap too much, then it doesn't seem like much. Oh, okay, I did a good job. Sweet. But if you open that gap up as it's supposed to be, the gap between who God is and who we are, then that, to, to think of, of, of God affirming you know, we, we tend to think of, you know, I had a boy, had a boy. But what will, the, what will the praise of God be like? What will it be to enter into eternity knowing that God has joy in what we did, in how we lived, and how we served Him? I mean, I, I'm absolutely firmly convinced that I can't get it right now. But ultimately, that reward is at least that, and that's going to be, it's going to have eternal ramifications. It's going to have eternal ripples. So, I mean, do you care to hear the praise of God? Do you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you care to receive the gracious reward that God offers? Then be careful about how you build on His church. Take care in how you build His church because your words and your deeds are all a part of your building endeavor, every single one of them. Some will last and some will burn up. So how do we tell the difference? What delineates good and bad construction, the incombustible with the combustible? Um, this is, this is I'm going I'm to try and, and work out a few examples, but this is excellent fodder for conversation. Okay, this is something to mull over and to pray over and to ask the Lord to bring you clarity to, to speak to one another in, in, the, in, the, in the effort to get greater understanding into how each one of us are building but I think we can take some of our cues from what Paul has written in the surrounding context. If you look in chapter 2, verse 1, from Paul's own efforts at, at church building, he says this. He says, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of God, but on the power of God. Paul's absolute focus in the midst of this letter of, of the wisdom of God and the power of God and the Spirit of God, I think is, is 
one filtering grid that we can say, is something going to last or is something going to burn? And you can ask, well, is this according to the wisdom of God or is this according to my wisdom? Is this according to God's power or is this according to my strength? Is this according to the work of His Spirit or is this according to the work of, 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 of Aaron or of each one of you? As much as we can say, this is work that is done in, 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 under, the, under the, the, the umbrella of God's wisdom and God's power and the work of the Spirit, as much as that we can say that's true of what I do, then we can say that that, that will last. And then like, I, like I've already read in chapter 4, where he speaks of disclosing the motives of men's heart, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. I think then the second one is asking, is my heart motive in the midst of doing what I'm doing honoring to Christ? So trying to work it into a couple of, of practical examples, let's look just first at, at uh, attendance, okay? Attendance is something that we do, right? And uh, we're, we're told to do it, and it's a part of edifying, is, is being there and gathering together, and yet... According to God's wisdom and according to God's plan, simple presence at church gatherings is not the end game. It's not the end of the matter. He calls us to serve. He calls us to utilize gifts. He calls us to speak to one another, to encourage one another, to admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and all of that kind of thing. You know, so, so simple attendance at functions without engaging with the church body, without participating in the use of, in, in the, in the use of spiritual gifts, and without endeavoring to, to, to build with every resource possible upon the church itself, I think that, that there will be folks who look back on decades of church attendance, and it will not last. Let's, let's look at an example of prayer, okay? Um, okay, Frank comes up to me, and he says, hey, man, I've got a job interview on Friday. Will you pray for me? Okay, prayer, prayer, is, prayer is an edifying, prayer is a, a construction tool, right? I think to make sure that that prayer is, is a part of, of building up the church, as, as a church member, Frank is, okay, um, in, in, in the effort to build up the church by praying for Frank, I need to pray according to the wisdom and the power of God, which means I pray not just that God will work in the, you know, not just that Frank will get the job, okay, but more importantly, what, what then more importantly than whether Frank gets the job or not, pray that God's will will be done in his life. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Pray that uh, Frank's faith will be strengthened and that his life will be sanctified in the midst of it and that he will be empowered to live a life that is worthy of the calling that Christ has called him to, whether he gets the job or not. That's what Pastor Rick preached on last Sunday night kind of prayer that Paul prays in Colossians 1. I think that's a prayer that you can feel confident will last. That is words and deeds that, that, that will last because that's according to God's wisdom and according to God's power. Um, let's, let's, take, uh, let's take children's ministry. Um, maybe, 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 maybe you've felt browbeaten into serving in the children's ministry to a various degree, whether it's uh, nursery or um, being with the kids. And so you figure, okay, I got to serve somewhere just to, just to get these pastors off my case, um, especially Myrel. He's <laughs> abusive. Um, and so you figure maybe the rotational nature of this nursery thing will, will be minim minimally disruptive of my life. And I can check off that box of service and, and, and move on. Okay? And I mean, these are all just hypotheticals. There's all sorts of other. Um, variables in line, and yet, so you, you can serve in nursery as a, well, I got to serve, so I'm going to check off the box, 
Or you're going to serve in children's ministry and be, well, I mean, I, I got to serve somewhere. And these guys keep telling me I got to serve, so I'm just going to check off that box. And fail then to bring in the heart motive of love, which will ratify that service as something that will last. Love for the children. This is an opportunity to extend love to them, to impart truth to them. Love for the parents and love for each one of you who is not currently hearing a screaming baby sitting next to you in the pew so that you can sit and, and focus and, and, and enjoy knowing and learning love for the parents then who are free to worship and focus and ultimately love for God, that those things need to be oozing out of your pores as you serve in children's ministry, and then that service will last. I think about the counsel and fellowship. You know, maybe you sit and talk with a friend over lunch or coffee, and your friend relays, oh, man, I'm having a hard time with work. My boss is a jerk, and he's treating me badly and unfairly, and I, I'm, I'm, all my coworkers, I just can't handle this, and, you know, I'm just so miserable being in this occupation. You have option one, which I don't think will last, and you can say, yeah, man, work stinks. Can't believe it's part of the curse, which is not true, but... Um, you know, and you can commiserate and you can, and you can kind of empathize and try to make them feel better, but not, not be more Christ-like. That act of building up a member of the church won't last. Or you can take that same guy and you can offer personal care and understanding and saying, yes, I know that it's rough. Man, that sounds hard, but let's ask ourselves, what does God have to say about this and build them up into Christ-likeness? And that, that, that interaction will last. Teaching and evangelism, you know, the kind of teaching that, that, that stops at half-truths, the kind of teaching that stops at 60% of, of what God would really have to say, the kind of evangelism that, that just sorts of presents a, a part of the gospel, um, that presents a partial call, those things won't last. Doing either of those things out of pride even if you have great content and great truth and, and your heart is proud, then this is, this is nothing. This sermon right here will burn up if my heart is wrong. And it, and it, will, it, will, it will profit nothing. I want to call the band up and we're going to sing a song of, of consecration and, and commitment in this regard of... of holistically consecrating everything unto this end, and I want to encourage you after we've, we've sung to go and to, and to talk this over and to look at life and to say, I am a builder, so how am I building? Husband, wife, help me understand how am I building? Give me clarity. Friend, help me understand how am I building? Roommate, dad, mom, how, how am I building? I want to build in a way that will last. I want to honor Christ in that way.